0: You know, if you really, though, take the time to prep your seedbed the proper way, you're going to have a much better yield and result at the end of the season. You know, anybody who grows is going to know that. And, and taking that time to come up with that mission statement, that foundational plan, put the passion that you feel into words on paper that you can come back to and remind yourself, we call it our why.
1: Welcome to the Farmer's Feed Raising the Barn podcast, which explores the unique ways folks in the agriculture sector are marketing their businesses. I'm Caroline Allen, founder of the Farmer's Feed and host of the show. Today's guests are Brett and Mackenzie Flashnick, owners of The Farm 1780, a family farm focused on growing local seasonal fruits and vegetables, raising heritage breed livestock, and connecting the community in Lexington, South Carolina. Before they were farmers, they had careers in advertising and journalism, and since opening last fall, they've come up with some very creative ways to introduce agritourism and bring folks from across South Carolina to the farm. Welcome, Brett McKenzie. I'm so excited for you to be joining today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So let's start a little bit um, with your background. How do two folks working in advertising and journalism come to own a farm? I guess I'll
0: let Brett take that one. <laughs> uh, inheritance. Um, so this uh, land has been in my family um, since the initial land grants were issued in uh, 1787. Um, they were here in 1780, but I think with some of the surveying and applications and the um, situation of the Revolutionary War at the time, the they, uh, grants didn't get recorded until 1787. Um, So I grew up out here, my grandparents lived out here. This is the farthest southwest corner of the original land grants. Um, So it's been an active working farm uh, and homestead since about 1870, um, when my third great-grandfather started to build his house and his family out here. So uh, in 2017, uh, both my mom and grandmother passed away uh, in short succession. And I, being an only child, uh, just inherited the property. And after that, Mackenzie and I both, you know, really loved it out here, but we weren't ready to live out here and, and make this our home quite yet. Uh, we had already kind of set our sights on where we wanted to be as a family and a couple and had kind of bought our forever house uh, a few miles away from here. And so, had did had no desire uh, or want to sell the property to a developer like a lot of people in our situations would do so we started kind of thinking about what we could do to make it um realistic and sustainable to own a 34 acre uh farm property and just having it sit here uh day in and day out was a little bit cost prohibitive uh for us um with a lot of the maintenance and up keep and upgrades and repairs that needed to be done to the property. So uh, really, the the right solution to us just felt like getting uh, the farm back up and going um, like it once was and using that as an opportunity to connect our community with uh, something that's really been lost and and continues to be lost very quickly, uh, which are larger historic family farms like this.
1: Yeah, I think that is an excellent point. There, I'll have to find the actual study, but uh, there are studies on you know the the median age of farmers in the U.S. and how just the you know next generation of farmers are really looking at uh, moving away from the farm. and And I was at the the South Carolina um, Farm Bureau's Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference last week, and that was a a big topic of conversation was. know, a lot of people who, um, not necessarily the people at the conference, but just in general, a lot of the farmland across South Carolina being kind of sought and uh, uh, sold and bought up by kind of developers and, and really almost losing that integrity of the, of the kind of Southern farm. Um, But that was,
0: that was really challenging as mentioned for us is, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately we're in a place where that's already happened around us. Uh, You know, we're in one of the fastest three growing zip codes in the state of South Carolina. So Charleston, Greenville, and Lexington are the three biggest kind of growing areas. You know, our farm sits about uh, a mile or or a little bit less from Lake Murray, which is one of the top lakes, Mm -hmm. you know, inland lakes in the country. And so for us, it was kind of... uh, a, a stopping point where you know we had to be the people that said you know this is not going to happen we're not going to let that happen for us because all of the other farms that were around here when I was growing up are now uh, residential housing developments or strip malls
1: yeah we're seeing a lot of that too I'm, I'm up in uh, York County in South Carolina and so a lot of you know Rock Hill there's really no space anymore Fort Mill where I live right now there it's you know all pretty much all development i think they've actually put a more, put a moratorium on you know being able to put any more developments out there so you know folks are trying to look at things like York and Chester and and you know the the really the historic kind of farmland and where people go out to get out of you know, Rock Hill is not, to me, it's not really like a city city, but to get, you know, to get back out to the country, to get some fresh air. Um, Sam, Sam Hall was making this point. Um, he's from the Bush and Bond was making this point too, of, you know, that's kind of, they're creating a, a little haven in the country for people from, you know, Rock Hill and Fort Mill to get out of. Um, we're seeing so much of that across South Carolina. So it, it really is really important, you know, the the work that y'all are doing and and the kind of love and, and care that you're putting into keeping the integrity of the farm. So while you mentioned that the farm has been in your family, Brett, for eight generations, I believe y'all would be categorized as kind of first time farmers. And, and there was even, you know, there was even a study, um, there's a study called the USDA census of agriculture, which I did not know existed until a little bit ago. Uh, they found that 27% of us producers, have less than ten years of farming experience, so I think that is a really encouraging, you know, statistic. That you know, some folks, while we have become more um, like disengaged from farming and you know, moved so far away from farming, that more folks are hopefully starting to want to get back to that way of life. Was there anything from your prior work experience that you think helped you take on this new venture?
2: I think so. On that point, real quick like I think COVID definitely changed the game um, of people being willing and curious to either get into farming or continue in farming or on the other side of it, all of a sudden the general community started paying attention to, oh my gosh, food doesn't actually come from a grocery store. It does come from a farm. And now I realize and understand just how important farming is for me as a person, even if I'm not the one doing it. Um, And so I think that's why we're seeing so many more new and beginning farmers is because people are realizing that it is a critical job (laughs) to our community um, and our lifestyles that we have so become accustomed to. you know, I don't really do the actual farming side of things. Brett really runs that. Um, so do you want to answer her question?
0: Gosh, I don't know where to begin. Um, you know, I think it was kind of funny. I think where I found a lot of um, success in my prior career was having grown up out here and knowing how hard and demanding the work was. And so when I was having a really tough day, uh, at work, I was like, well, at least I'm not out there in 105 degree heat, you know, uh, for 12 hours a day like that. And then now that I have a family and, um, and, and really kind of appreciate a little slower pace of life. Now it's kind of like, oh, I, I'm glad I don't have to, you know, hop on a plane or be in my car, you know, three in the morning to make it to a location to, you know, do that job. So I, I think it's kind of um, a balancing act of, you know, just a growth through life. Um, where you see kind of what's important to you when you're younger may not be what's important to you when you're older. And so as I've grown, and we now have a small child and another one on the way, you know, I saw the work ethic and, and dedication that I learned from growing up out here working in the field with my grandparents doing just general yard work or maintaining a property of this size. Um, you know, something I want to pass along to my kids because I think that's what will help them be successful in life. And so, you know, I think that was where a lot of the desire, you know, came in right there. And a lot of the, I guess what I learned in my career, you know, just from being a journalist, you know, it feels really odd right now. I'm usually the one sitting there listening uh, and keeping an open mind. So, so being the one talking right now is kind of a little, little strange to me, but it's kind of one of those things like listening, listening to the land, you know, doing the actual farming. You know, there's a lot of listening, listening to the land, paying attention, looking at just the slightest variance on a leaf that might tell you, oh, this is going to be a big disease problem for me three weeks from now, you know, looking at the mm-hmm. weather forecasts and listening to that. So I think, you know, for me, you know, journalism, especially from the photography and video standpoint, is a lot about patience and waiting and observing. And so I think from, from my standpoint in a career, the, the learning how to be patient and observe and, and, you know, be critical of things was something that has helped me along the way.
1: There's definitely, I think, two schools of thought when it comes to how the pandemic has changed consumer behavior, and, and you touched a little bit about on uh, touched on this a little bit. Um, the the first being, you know, we've had all these technological advances. Everyone is so used to you know living in an online world, in a virtual world, that it's really it's really creating a space where we don't have as many kind of uh, human interaction, face face interaction, and we're all really just um, kind of advancing you know, where we would be probably maybe like 10, 20 years from now, like we're really like kind of dove, in, uh, dove into this society. Whereas on the other hand, uh, Mackenzie, like you were saying, there's the kind of consumer behavior where people have really seen what is happening and said, like, actually, no, that's not what I want to be a part of. Like I'm in search for a more kind of meaningful life, a slower way of living um, a way that connects me back with nature and connects me back with, you know, uh, I guess things that we have lost over the past couple of generations. So I definitely think that is something that's very unique. And, and you see folks in the ag, ag community as they're being able to really capitalize on that enthusiasm as consumers are, you know, more wanting to know like where their food comes from and just have a deeper connection to, to uh, that kind of way of life.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people want to break from technology. Like, even though we, like we're sitting here using technology to our advantage to do the (laughs) podcast, but even though we have those abilities right now, I think a lot of people are like, okay, I've been on zoom all day for my job. Now I haven't had any human connection at the end of the day or on the weekend. I want something that I can go do that not only reinvigorates me and gives me a break from that technology, but also helps me better understand what's really important in life. And and for some people that's where their food comes from. For other people, it's just being able to be outside in nature. For others, it's just the value of the connection with different people in their community that they find, oh, you live in the same neighborhood as I, and I didn't even realize that. Mm Um, and so I think connection really is a different definition for each person in each family, but that's the cool thing about a farm is there's so many different ways to connect depending on what really interests you.
1: Well, speaking of connection, so I actually connected with y'all, uh, in person, I attended your new year's Eve oyster roast, um, which was a blast. And so, as you mentioned, you are a working farm, but you've been using agritourism as a way to bring more folks out to your farm in Lexington. So, on um, you know, on the topic of connection, why was it important for y'all to launch events alongside things like growing produce and raising livestock for sale?
2: So our mission, when, we, when Brett and I sat down and we're like, okay, we're going to do this thing, <laughs> um, we really had the benefit of having journalism and advertising backgrounds we knew we needed a brand and so because of that we really spent a ton of time and we hired in other professionals beyond just ourselves to help us define what it is that we wanted to be um and we kept coming back to this like statement that when we were both kids um you know Brett grew up out here but he had a housing his parents lived in like a housing community and I grew up in a neighborhood and our parents always used to say come home when the street lights turn on <laughs> and we just kept coming back to that like sentiment and that feeling of that's what we wanted to create out here for our community and so while the farming aspect is a very important piece of it the events are really the the foundation and the core of how we create that connection Um, I think like our branding statement is something like create I can't remember it off the top of my head but like you know creating like connection and a break from you know modern distractions or something like that and that that's really like the concept of the life we led at the time was constantly connected, go, 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 climb the corporate ladder. Brett and I have been like all over the world. And then we like hit this point in our life where we were like, okay, that was all fun. But that really at the end of the day isn't what we want out of life as a whole. And there were so many people that we met both in this community and in our travels over the years that were like, I just wanna meet new people. I just wanna have fun. I just wanna do things. And so the events are really what allow for that connection and that community connection to happen because without the events, then we sort of just have to rely on people wanting to come to the farm to buy food, whereas an event gives them an opportunity to really live and experience something that either they get enjoyment out of, or they might not have otherwise tried or experienced.
1: So where do your ideas come from for your events? Like, Where do you find inspiration for The different events that you host
2: um it's kind of a team collaboration honestly like we've got a lot of contract employees part-time employees Brett I Brett and me um our family friends um other farms not just in South Carolina but other things that we see or follow on social media and then just kind of taking that concept and making it something that can work here in Lexington, Um, like, for example, I found this article on this guy called Outstanding in the Field, if you haven't looked this up, you have to, because it looks amazing, but he's like a restaurateur, and I forget his name, but he created this brand um, where he travels, and he does farm-to-table dinners in some of these most like amazing places in the world. And it's like a show. They time the um, serving of different courses to the tides of the ocean. Or um, I think they talked about one that they did in Norway where everybody brought their own plate and then everybody took home a different plate as like a a memento. So we just kind of read things like that or we've experienced that other places we've gone. And we're like, How do we create that out here in a way that's approachable, affordable, and enjoyable for people?
0: Yeah, I think um, I'll kind of add on and allude to that. And so since you mentioned, you know, you came to New Year's, so I think McKenzie and I take a lot of inspiration from things we've experienced in life. Um, You know, I went to college in Kentucky, uh, which was the home of bluegrass, and about forty-five minutes away from where I went to school, there's a small town called Rosine, which is where Bill Monroe and a lot of really, you know, the birthplace of bluegrass occurred. And during the the summer and early fall, um, every Thursday night, the whole town gets together and there's this barn and it's called the Rosine Jamboree, and they just all come and play bluegrass. And it's literally a barn that's lit by one um, or a, you know a couple of light bulbs and it's just a really relaxed, you know, experience. Uh, So combine that with, I think, 10 years ago, I was on an assignment for USA Today about these uh, pop-up restaurants that had just become a thing. This was in like 2010 or 2012. And, you know, one of the restaurants I went to um, was on, one of the places was on a farm, and another place was down in Charleston in the middle of the uh, oldest private library in the country you're one of, you know, and there's, a, they, they pop up a restaurant in the middle of that. So, okay, how do you bring a, a dining experience to a unique location? How do you bring this, you know, feeling of togetherness? Like I remember going to Rosine with some friends from college, you know, and it's one of the more memorable experiences that I have, you know, how do you bring these, these memorable moments all together? and then working with a chef or uh, another partner to utilize some of the food that we grow here. So the collards and all the greens from that night on New Year's Eve were all grown here on the farm where you're then eating them. So, you know, it's really, you know, uh, combining a lot of these ideas and experiences that we had um, throughout our life and traveling and, meeting different people and seeing how things are done in different parts of the world that um, really kind of help us to foster some of these ideas. And then there's a lot of refining that goes into, okay, you know, while this may have worked in South Africa, it does. it's not going to work in Lexington, South Carolina. So how can we, you know, make this experience a little more in line with what, you know, with, with something that'll work for our local community.
1: So that makes a lot of sense that, you know, your career in journalism and in advertising and your travels and all you, these collected, collective experiences that you both have had have now influenced the way you guys are running your business and some of the events that you are putting on. Um, something else we know, and, and Mackenzie, you touched on this a little bit about, it was really important for you to establish the farm brand as kind of a center of the community, a place where people come, a place where people feel like they are, you know, it's their kind of extension of their home because you guys are supporting your local community there. Um, We know that communications is an important part of bringing visibility to your farmer ranch. And you guys both have kind of more formal education around um, communications and media training what would be one uh, piece of advice for folks in the ad community who may not have formal communications training? Like what would you say that they should try to kind of uh, build their skills on?
2: I think it's probably really hard to narrow it down to like one main piece of advice mm-hmm. and maybe do like two, I would say definitely find and, and invest in that identification of who you are and what you want to be known as because it becomes very difficult and I I see this in in my advertising side of the world I see so many small businesses like throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and you can spend a lot of money effort time on a bunch of stuff that may not work to drive success for your business when you have these defined and identified brands or even just don't think of it as a black box of a brand but like a collective set of terms that you use to describe your business and its personality it makes it really easy to go to something and say does that fit in our box and brett and i have to do that every day we're like we're approached by so and so to sponsor a little league team Or we're, you know, approached by another vendor who wants to do a partnership with us and and we want to do as much as we can to support the community, but there's only so much money in a pot. And so we have to ask ourselves, does that fit in our box and it makes decisions really easy from a business perspective and a marketing perspective, because when it doesn't fit in the box. We can easily explain to the person on the other side like this is a great idea and a great concept here are some other people you might approach about it for us it doesn't fit here's why. And it just makes it easy to make those those determinations and those decisions without investing a lot of effort or time to make that decision um the other thing that I see is is people being afraid to invest money in marketing Um, and. It drives Brett crazy because I call it an investment and he hates that term. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, it's a cost. It's an expense. Look at the books. (laughs) Um,
0: What's the ROI? (laughs) But
2: but it truly is. And when I say that, a lot of people think naturally like, oh my God, I'm going to have to invest 50, 60, $70,000 in a marketing plan. And I'm not saying that Um, depending on your size of your business you really probably shouldn't be spending that much. But there are very small, both in effort and in a monetary sense, ways to grow your business. Um, Like we use a lot of Instagram and Facebook very organically. Um, For the farm itself, we don't spend any marketing dollars on trying to sell our products to the general public where we invest our marketing dollars as an events um and we invest a lot of time in building partnerships um which don't take a lot of monetary investment they take it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. um but you really gotta you have to do that because it's a very noisy environment um you know people are weighing what am i going to do this weekend against you as a farm (laughs) and the 17 million other options that they have so if you have those two things if you have the identification of who you are and then you've got those partnerships or those ideas of where you should invest your money it shortens your cycle of how much time you have to spend on it
1: Mm, that's really powerful advice and as you know as we all know um folks in the ag community definitely do not lack uh, personality. They don't lack um, values. Like if you're an ag, it's because you have a certain core set of values that really defines why you're doing what you're doing, what your business is about, uh, what your story is. And it's, you know, once you can start to express those and and share those values and make it a core part of your messaging, um, that's when you really have, you know, a definition of what your brand is and what is important to you.
0: So Um, can I add a little something in there? Yeah. From my perspective here is, I think you're exactly right. You know, no one in this industry is without passion because without passion, you're not going to be out there feeding chickens in 40 degree rainy weather. You know, you're not going to be, you know, cleaning a coop and turning, you know, shavings and doing, you know, harvesting. I've I've been out there in the field, you know, when we had a big farmer's market coming up and an employee quit that morning, I'm like harvesting a field at one o'clock in the morning by headlamp in a thunderstorm. You know, you're not going to do that without passion and passion is what drives connection. You know, as a, as a journalist, when I would go and, you know, try to tell somebody's story, I would look for the individuals, no matter what the story was, but they were passionate about what they did. I can make a good story out of anybody that has passion, because we can all relate to that as humans. We all have passion for something in our lives, whether it's our family, our pets, our our land. Um, I think Mackenzie's actually getting a a car now. Um, So we all have passions in life. That, that we really care about. And without, you know, that passion, I don't think you could sustain the daily rigors of working on a farm. I think the challenge comes in, sometimes those passions cloud your judgment from an analytical perspective. Mm-hmm. So like McKinsey mentioned earlier, you know, when we started this out, we sat down and I think we put weeks into building this foundational, you know, brand book, guidebook, mission statements, all these things that you hear talked about in, you know, business facts track courses or new and beginning farmer programs. Um, but really, you know, when our passion is there, you know, we've learned or I've learned specifically to, okay, let me stop. Let me go reference this and make sure the decision I'm about to make from a marketing perspective or a planting perspective or whatever aligns with that foundation we built. And to someone who has a background in ag and, and not advertising or communications, I would say that's equivalent to putting in the work to start your seed bed. You know, if you go out there and you just run a tiller through some dirt and try to plant right into that, you're gonna have a weed problem come midway through the season. You know, if you really though take the time to prep your seed bed the proper way, you're gonna have a much better yield and result at the end of the season. You know, anybody who grows is gonna know that and and taking that time to come up with that mission statement, that foundational plan, put the passion that you feel into words on paper that you can come back to and remind yourself, we call it our why. You know, our our why, but then have parameters around that why.
1: I love that. I always say that, running your, you know, your ag business, whatever it may be without a marketing plan is just like tossing some seeds in a field and, you know, praying that they're going to grow correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you, the care and love and dedication that you're putting into growing the crops, raising your livestock, um, you know, getting folks to come out and, and really experience what you're all about, uh, that is obviously the core part of your why, but then from there, in order to really share that with the community and to be effective as a small business, which you know farms are small businesses, um, you know every small business needs some kind of marketing plan, and, and, and going back to your why and understanding like what makes sense for you, and what channels make sense for you, and what don't make sense for you, or what you know partnerships make sense, and what may be a little bit straying from what you're trying to accomplish. Um, are there any, you know, specific marketing campaigns? You talked a little bit about, you know, the things that you've done to, to bring folks in and advertise, um, or not necessarily advertise, but, you know, promote, um, the events that you're having. Are there any, uh, specific campaigns that have either been really successful or you've just had a lot of fun, uh, kind of dreaming up and putting into practice?
2: Um, so we have only been open to the public officially since October of last year, um but we participated in um the South Carolina Ag and Art Tour in June it happens in like May or June depending on what counties you're in it's put on by Clemson Extension uh, well Clemson University and Clemson Extension um and different counties have different dates but that was by far for us one of the best ways to get a large number of people to the farm to experience it one time and then we we got a lot of new customers off of that event um we didn't spend any dollars of our money other than what it took to actually put the event on itself so like we had to bring in restrooms um we'd have staff that kind of stuff but um there wasn't a a marketing outlay for it for us because Clemson and the county that sponsored it for us in Lexington County um they paid all those marketing fees on on behalf of the whole weekend which includes a bunch of different farms um but that by far was something that was very valuable for us um the other thing that has been a long game (laughs) is building our marketing I'm sorry building our email list um So like our number one goal is to get people to join our email list. Um, Following us on social is great. Um, We do put a lot of effort into social engagement Um, but really just kind of, if you go to our website, like one of the first things on there on our contact us page is like to stay up to date with information and join our email list because it makes it easy for us to nurture people through email um, and if you're not spamming them like every week with a bunch of irrelevant information, then they are definitely um, staying in that. We, we get very little unsubscribes um, from our email list, but we probably only send out one or two emails a month and it's usually just kind of like a bulk update. Here's what you can expect this spring. Here's what's growing on the farm. Here's the events coming up. And for more, stay tuned on social. And then we do more of like the promo of the individual stuff on social.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. You know, social media, while everyone thinks you know, having a lot of followers and, And that's really important, you know, for optics. It really is just kind of a a vanity metric for your brand because it is a borrowed audience, right? Like you can speak to them through that platform, but you don't actually own that platform. So having an email list is so powerful for any business of any size because it lets you speak one-to-one to those consumers and really build those connections. And like you said, as long as you are continuing to provide value Um, and just be really intentional with, you know, the message that you're sending email is such a great tool. Um, and who these days, like who doesn't have an email, right? Like every single person. Um, and we check our email a hundred times a day. So that is that. So in that, that is kind of the challenge, right? It's how do you, how do you stand out in email when people are inundated with messages, uh, from every which way. And, and like you said, it really is Understanding like frequency, what works for your customer, uh, what kind of value, what kind of updates you're giving. And as long as you continue to do that, people will, you know, kind of stay within that community.
2: Yeah. And I think like what works for us um, and probably works for any farm in all of the United States, I would bet it's <laughs> just say, is we make it personal. Like we sign all of our emails, Brett McKenzie Flashnick. Like I put them together, Brett and I talk about the contents together. Like it isn't a, we're not trying to be a big brand. That would be ideal. (laughs) (laughs) But I think people want to know their farmers. They want to know the family behind the farm. Um, And so we, we make it personal, which helps because that way, when people come to the farm, we're here, they see us we are, we are faces. We are not just a brand. And so I think if you can find ways to make your emails personable, people are more willing to continue to get them and read them.
0: And make them valuable. You know, there's, uh, there, there's literally email lists that you get on or that I get on. I know where every email, it comes two, three times a week. And it's like, Here's what we have for sale, you know, buy this 10% off that, whatever. And, then, and I, and within like a week or two, I'm like unsubscribe. I'm mm-hmm. out of here. You know, but then where we take our son to get his haircut, they send me an email once a week. And that's a, a franchise called Sharky's Cuts for Kids. And it's like shark themed. And while I'm a little bit of a I debated being a marine biologist when I was in high school, you know, before I became a photographer. <laughs> So it's cool, but literally all their email is once a week. It's like a little shark fact, like, uh, did you know this about this shark or this kind of shark? And so I'm like, every Monday morning, I know that email comes and I'm going to, oh yeah, I did know that. Ha ha. I'm smart. Or, oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. You know? And it's like, but it reminds me so that the next time, you know, I look at our son, I'm like, oh, he's getting a little shaggy. Let's go get a haircut. I know where I'm going to go. You know, and yes, of course, there's a book now link at the bottom of the email, but it's not the bulk portion. Like I get value out of that email, you know, and I think, um, you know, always seeing an email of here's what we have. Here's what we have. Buy from us. Buy from us. That's providing some level of value to your customers. But also look at what other value are you being, you know, our, our customers love really cute pictures of baby chickens. Mm-hmm. You know, they love, you know.
2: They love knowing when the new chickens are hatching. When that, yeah. They like knowing that the forestry project started. It's just basic, like, here's what's going on, right? And then if you wanna come connect with us, here's ways you can do that.
0: Yeah, so I would say, you know, if you are using email, you know, you need to provide them something of value. You know, like you can't sustain off of just, you know, junk food.
1: That's, yeah, I love that analogy of making sure that your, once again, your email is a represent, representation of your brand. It's a representation of you, of your family, of your history. And because you do have such a rich story to tell, there's so many ways to tell it. And there are so many aspects to, you know, daily life on the farm or on the ranch that because a lot of consumers don't really have, you know, day-to-day access to those kinds of things like you're really going to be their window into what that world is like and if you can share that via email um you know social media or your website or whatever it may be you will find that people as they build a stronger connection to your to your brand or to your small business you're going to be then top of mind like you said when when they think oh I you know. Uh, fourth of july is coming up i wonder if the farm i don't know if you guys are doing something fourth of july but i wonder if the farm is having a party or Mm -hmm. um you know easter's coming up this would be a great opportunity to uh do a little like getaway, uh you know farm brunch or you know whatnot um they're going to be the one you you guys will be the ones who they think of when when those situations come up um Last question, I think for this episode, you know, this has been such a fun conversation and I feel like you guys are just like a wealth of knowledge that I know I'm going to have to ask you back at some point, (laughs) Um, but you know, what is on your marketing plan for the farm for 2022? Are there any, anything exciting coming up that you guys can share or something that you're looking forward to kind of experimenting with this year? That would be new.
2: Um, yeah so we have realized that um our website isn't as great as it needs to be um and that's the thing that i think overwhelms a lot of people in marketing i mean even it overwhelms us somewhere in the industry um is that it's ever evolving like what worked for us on our website um before we opened doesn't work for us um in today's environment so we're kind of doing a bit of an overhaul on our website to make it easier when people get to our homepage to see like just a laundry list of, cause most people come from their mobile devices and I'm sure that's the same for almost every farm. They can just scroll to see what they're looking for opposed to having to use the navigation. Um, we find that for us because we are a farm but we're an agritourism farm that the general population struggles with that concept. Um, the general population has a really hard time understanding that events and farms can coexist. Mm-hmm. So we actually separated our brands, um, and so we have the Farm Seventeen Eighty, which is the farm itself, and all of the things that you think of with a farm, like vegetables, livestock, um, you know, kids' birthday parties on the farm that type of thing. But then we have a separate brand for our events, which is called Farm Crafted Events. And we keep the content separated that way, and so we just launched the Farm Crafted Events brand back in like November, December. Um and so it takes a while to get the following up, but we want people who want to know about the farm to not feel like the content that's related to events isn't for them and vice versa. And then we've got some customers who do both, um, which is great, but we do have customers that are event only customers. They don't buy produce from us. They just come to farm to table dinners or they just come to have their kid's birthday party here. And we're totally fine with that. But we we had to recognize that there was sort of that pitfall in our marketing. Um, And so I guess just a piece of advice to people is utilize your analytics of your website. It'll tell you what you need it to. Mm -hmm. We could see we were losing people to emails. We could see we were having a high exit or bounce rate on certain websites when we would promote certain content. Mm -hmm. We even got feedback from actual clients that were like, I thought you were just an event venue. I didn't realize you were a farm. (laughs) So, um, I think just, you know, taking the time to take all that information in and not let yourself take one person's piece of feedback as like the Bible, but collect it over time. And if you hear the same thing multiple times, then, you know, there's a pattern.
1: Yeah, that is such great advice. You know, the the work on a farm is never done and, and very similar to the work in marketing is never complete. Every day is a new challenge. Every day is a learning opportunity. Things that you think are going to be really successful may just flop and and things that you don't really put a lot of effort into because you're kind of trying something new and not sure how it's going to work for you may be wildly successful. So the more you can, you know, look to your analytics, look to your customers, really listen. As, As Brett, you were saying, you know, part of the job as a farmer is and as as a journalist is really listening to the subject, right? Whether that is the person who you're interviewing, or it's listening to the the soil, to the to the to the animals, to the plant health, um, you know, listening to your customers and understanding their feedback, and really trying to find ways to use your marketing to meet to meet their needs. And uh, that is that is, I think the best piece of advice that we can take away even from this conversation is, is you know, how you guys are, are are taking your marketing and it's really ever evolving.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think like last piece of like leave you with it advice is I think a lot of people get extremely overwhelmed by the marketing aspect of it because it does seem, first of all, it's not tangible and it seems overwhelming. And so what I suggest of farms that don't have those marketing backgrounds is to like find somebody like you (laughs) that they can, you know, hire or partner with or work with to do it for them. And they don't have to spend a fortune, but they're probably going to learn some stuff over time. And then maybe they don't need you forever. Mm -hmm. But I think having the ability to say, here's what I know I'm not good at and I'm going to outsource that somewhere else. Just make sure that it's someone that focuses in ag, somebody who understands your environment. Um, But don't be scared to invest some money in that because it can turn your business around very quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank y'all both for joining. I think there's a lot of very um sage advice that came from this conversation and I I know advice that that farmers are really looking to have and are you know just struggling with themselves of you know how do I take my business to the next level how do I get into events I've seen all these farms around me are starting to dip their toes into this kind of new world of agro-tourism and how can I make that work for myself and will that is that even a a smart move for my farm to go into Um, I really appreciate y'all's time today and, you know, if, if our listeners out there, if y'all are in sh- interested in learning more about the farm or checking out their upcoming events calendar, you can find out more at thefarm1780.com. And if y'all are not familiar with the Farmer's Feed, as Mackenzie mentioned, I help ag folks cultivate their marketing skills to tell their stories through educational resources, one-to-one consulting, and group trainings for farming and ag associations. You can learn more at thefarmersfeed.com and at thefarmersfeed on Instagram. Thank you both so much. And like I said, I'll definitely have to have you all back to share some more advice and maybe we can dive a little bit more on kind of like listening to your customer, creating customer segmentations and things like that. I think that would also be a good conversation to have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us.